0: Here today on Graceful Truth. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will continue with our series, A Walk to the Cross. We're taking a look at the model sufferer, that in the person and nature of Jesus Christ. That's coming up next on this edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. I think it's safe to say that we all from time to time find ourselves in a moment of quote unquote suffering. But we do have a model sufferer laid out for us in Jesus Christ. Welcome to Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City with Pastor Steve Converse. Today, we're in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse six, as well as Luke nine, and verse 51, and then also John chapter 18. We'll see the model sufferer in his deity, as well as his dignity. And we'll also take a look at one other aspect of this, the destiny. It's all straight ahead on this edition of Graceful Truth. Here's Pastor Steve
1: Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. I want us to look as we reflect back to what we read in John chapter 18 and 19. I want us just to reflect a little bit on the suffering of Christ. At the point in which he was betrayed, at the point in which he was arrested and was being tried before his enemies, through all of that, he manifested the strength of what we like to call character. And it paints a wonderful picture for you and I. In these verses, in John chapter 18 and 19, we see Jesus as a model sufferer. He came to fulfill his destiny, to go to the cross, and we don't find him at any point shrinking away from that task. We don't find him at any point crying out in agony, saying, why do I have to go through this? On the contrary, when we look at Christ as the model sufferer, we truly see him standing tall. We see him carrying out this redemptive plan that his heavenly Father put in place. And he did so without flinching. He did so without wincing. He did so without failing. He carried out the redemptive plan of his heavenly Father. Isaiah saw this many centuries ago. And in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, he says this, speaking of Christ, "...I gave my back to those who strike." and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. We clearly see here that that Christ looked his task right in the face and didn't shrink away from it. Even in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. See, all this leads us to see that Jesus was not some shrinking religious leader that was afraid to die for a cause. He wasn't a victim of circumstance. Instead, he was the master of his own destiny because he was God. And as we go through these verses, it's going to be clear to anybody, if blood's flowing through your veins today, that Jesus Christ suffered humiliation, he suffered betrayal, and eventually he suffered death with his head held high and his eyes firmly fixed upon the goal. So I just want to take a moment and look at Jesus as the model sufferer. I pray that it's my desire that you can see Jesus has made a way for us to be saved. He's done everything that is necessary to deliver you from hell and from judgment. Everything. It's complete. First of all, in these verses, in verses 1 and 11, we see him in his deity. Several times in this chapter, Jesus proved his deity. Uh, He proved his identity to those around him. Throughout his ministry, he claimed to be God in the flesh. We see that over and over again. In John ten thirty, he says, I am the Father, are one. In John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They only understood that to mean one thing, beloved, that he was claiming to be God. Yet here in the closing hours of his life, he once again steps up and he claims equality with God Almighty. Look at his claim in verses 4 to 7. When Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. They responded. They asked, Hey, we're looking for Jesus. Have you seen him? He says, I am. See, this claim was a claim of deity from Christ, from his own lips. By saying, I am, he once again was claiming to be God. Now, look at what happened when he said this. Verse 6 says that this group of soldiers, which some estimate between three and 600 men, a band of soldiers, that's what it usually was, it says they fell backward to the ground when he said that. say <laughs> so that's a pretty powerful statement. I don't know, I don't know about you, but, but I probably would have hesitated there if I was one of these Roman soldiers and said, well, are we really going to arrest this guy? I kind of would have paused just a little bit, maybe. What does this mean? For us. It simply means that Jesus is God. Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is God. John 1 1, John 1 14, it make it very clear. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the living Word. Verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of His incarnation, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the one thing you have to understand here tonight, if you're not following Christ, if you're not a believer in Christ, or even if you are, the one thing I want everyone to understand is that no one can ever be saved until you first come to the place where you acknowledge and you receive Jesus as more than just a moral teacher, more than just a good man, more than just some religious leader. You can never be saved until you come face-to-face with the simple fact That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Bottom line. Unfortunately, the soldiers never saw that as they became participants in the death of Jesus. They were given, obviously, a sign. They all fell backward. That's a pretty big sign when he said, I am. They were given the opportunity to back away, yet they pressed on in their unbelief and eventually they perished in hell. I want to tell you, don't let that happen to you, beloved. The Bible in the New Testament clearly says that Jesus was God and that we need to follow him. We need to accept his way of salvation. I pray that you would receive that truth today. Luke 22, 70 says, So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. John eighteen thirty seven says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. See, Jesus Christ was claiming deity during his trial. When he was asked point blank about his relationship to God and where he was, if he was the actual son of God, Jesus responded by saying overwhelmingly, Yes, that's exactly right. You said it. Now the question this evening is for us, Whom do we say that Jesus is? Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 says this, He said to them, speaking of Christ, But who do you say that I am? He asked his own disciples that question. Simon Peter in verse 16 replies, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We see his claim of deity. We also see his concern in verses 8 to 9. Such a wonderful Savior that we serve. The deity of Jesus is also seen in, in the concern that he has for his own disciples. Because it's a concern that doesn't come from a human standpoint he's concerned that they not be arrested but they're allowed to be set free we see that in verses 8 and 9 Jesus was concerned with the protection of his own men they were special to him they would spent years together he was determined to see that their need was met that night you might say well how does that prove that he was God that he had deity by the simple fact that he cared more about others welfare than his own I don't know about you, but that doesn't come naturally to me. (laughs) Usually it's Steve Uno, number one. That's who I'm concerned about. Everybody has that selfish bent. And it's only when the Spirit of God convicts our hearts and we have to lay that down and then we have to be concerned for others more than ourselves, the Bible says. But that's not something we can do from a human standpoint. In his actions, you do not see the selfishness that's manifested in most human hearts. He shows a supernatural self-sacrificing. Love that really is hard to even describe. And I'm here to tell you that only God is able to love to that degree. And the good thing is, is things haven't changed. We serve the same Lord. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is still very concerned about the needs that you and I have even here this evening. His concern translates into action on our behalf. God has promised To take care of our needs. Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, we serve the same Lord, beloved. We see him in his deity through his claim to be God. We also see him, his deity, come through in his concern for others through his selflessness. But also we see it in his compassion in verses 10 to 11 there in John 18. When the soldiers come to take Jesus away, what does Peter do? Peter draws out his sword and he aims for the guy's head. He's probably going to decapitate him. That's what he was planning on doing. Obviously, poor, poor Peter wasn't much of a swordsman. He missed and he just cut out the guy's ear. Now when you stop and you, you think of Jesus' response, most of us, if people were coming to attack us, in an unrighteous manner, in an unjust manner, and we had friends standing by, we would expect them to pitch in and to overthrow the enemy. That's what would be natural for us to expect. And that's all Peter was doing. But Jesus' response in Luke twenty-two fifty-one: Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched Malchus's ear and he healed it instantly. I mean, only God can do things like that, beloved. Most of us would have been glad to see our friends coming to our defense, but not Jesus. He was moved with compassion for the one of his enemy who had his ear cut off, and he reached out and he touched him in love. And you know what? That's exactly what he's done for you and me. Because the Bible says very clearly in Romans 8, verses 7 and 8, that you and I are enemies to God. That's our state. It says, For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible says that at the right time, even though we were still sinners, we were still captivated in our sin, Christ died for us. Even though we were his enemies, he died for us. He still reached out to us through his matchless, marvelous grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes that very clear. For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, what a Savior we have, what a Lord we have who gave it all on our behalf. I don't know about you, but I'm glad this evening that the Lord was moved with compassion when he saw me. I'm glad that the Lord was moved with compassion when he saw my sin. Because had it not been for the love and compassion of our Lord, I would be dead and in hell. And so would you. That's something to rejoice over. That's something to think about. That's something to ponder as we approach this Resurrection Sunday. Not just his claim, his concern, and his compassion, but lastly there in verse 11, we see his commission. A final proof of his deity is seen in the fact that he seems determined beyond any reasonable doubt to go to the cross. If this would have been you or I, we probably would have been looking for a side door. Some way out of this, this deal. Especially when he knew what he was going to endure because he was God, he knows everything. Nothing surprised him. Every hair that was pulled out of his beard, he knew that was going to happen. Every one of those thorns that was driven down deep into his skull, he knew that was going to happen. And yet he never flinched. He never cried out. He never protested. We would have tried to cut a deal, (laughs) but not Jesus. He set his face like a flint and he went to the cross and he says that he drank this bitter cup of death for you and I. I mean, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't flinch when he stood in the face of the cross on Calvary? I'm so thankful that he was willing to go to the cross and to die for my sins and for yours so that I could be saved. I mean, we serve a wonderful Lord, beloved, who deserves to be exalted, who deserves to be praised, who who deserves to be lifted up for no other reason than the reason of the incredible gift that he gave to us when he willingly died in our stead, in our behalf, on the cross for our sins. What a wonderful Savior we serve. Well, we see his deity, but we also see him in his dignity in verses 12 to 36. I mean, even as Jesus was being led away to this unjust, illegal trial, by the way, on trumped-up charges, he also retained his dignity. I mean, most of us would probably be kicking and screaming and saying, wait, this isn't fair. Not Jesus. Not one time do we see him begging for mercy. Not one time do we hear him crying out for freedom. Not one time... Do the lips of our glorious Savior part and ask men to let him go free. This isn't fair. This is unjust. He maintained his dignity all the time. That may not mean much to you, but that speaks a lot to my heart. It reminds me that he knew what he was doing the whole time. He wasn't reacting. He was acting. We don't serve a God who reacts to us. We serve a sovereign Lord. A sovereign God who puts his plan, his purpose, into action and carries it out. Not one aspect of his trial caught him by surprise. He knew every little bend in the road that was going to come around the corner, and he faced it like a true man, like the true God-man he was. We look at his arrest. When the soldiers came to carry Jesus away, he didn't resist. Matter of fact, he was totally compliant with him. He didn't retaliate. He submitted to them and he went to trial because he was determined to die on that cross so that you and I might have a means whereby we can be saved. At any moment, you understand, Jesus was God. He was powerful. At any moment, he could have just snapped his fingers and everybody would have been toasty critters all around him. And he could have walked away a free man. But not one word from his lips came out in protest because he loved us. You look at his arraignment. After Jesus was arrested, he was forced to appear before Caiaphas, the high priest, and then he was led, and he was tried by Pilate and by Herod. And during his trial, Jesus was subjected to many injustices today. I mean, the ACLU would have been all over this thing. I mean, there's several illegal aspects of the Christ trial. First of all, the arrests could not be made at night. The time and date of the trial were illegal because it took place at night on the eve of the Sabbath. This time didn't give them a chance for any required adjournment the next day. In the event of a conviction, the guilty sentence could only be handed down on the day following the trial. Also, the Sanhedrin was without authority to instigate charges. That was not their role. They were only supposed to investigate charges brought before it. But here we see them actually instigating the charges. We also see in Jesus' trial that the court formulated the charges. And you see that as it goes through. The charges against Jesus were changed. He was initially charged with blasphemy based upon his statement that he would be able to destroy the temple of God within three days, as well as his claim to be the Son of God. But when he was brought before Pilate, the charge was that Jesus was a king and did not advocate paying taxes to Romans. The requirement of two witnesses in agreement to merit a death penalty was not met. We can see that in Deuteronomy. The law is very clear on that. They understood that. Mark 14.65 says, Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. It's abuse, abuse of the authorities. This couldn't fly today. The court did not meet in a regular meeting place that they always met, the Sanhedrin, which was required by Jewish law. Christ was not even permitted a defense under Jewish law. An exhaustive search into the facts presented by the witnesses should have occurred. None of it happened the Sanhedrin pronounced a death sentence. Under the law, the Sanhedrin was not allowed to convict and put the, the death sentence into effect. We even read that in, in John 18.31. Pilate said, hey, take them for yourself and judge them on your own law. And, he said, and then the Jews said to Pilate, hey, we can't do it. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And through all that injustice, through all the lies, through all the deception, Jesus retained his dignity. He stood as the creator before the creature, And he took every blow that came his way. And he did so that you and I might have a plan of salvation to place our faith in today. He suffered it all because he loved us. We also see his alienation in several verses in this text. And this was probably the hardest part for Jesus. I mean, the physical part was difficult. Don't get me wrong, because he was a human being. But this was probably the, the, the most difficult aspect of this, this whole process the utter and bitter rejection by the very people he came to save in the first place we see that first of all he was betrayed by judas this man who had lived and walked with jesus for 3 years turned on him and led his captors to him i mean that must have stung the heart of jesus especially because he continued to reach out to him over and over again offering him an opportunity to repent it's so ironic that judas luke 22:47 says while he was still speaking there came a crowd And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Even at that point, he was giving Judas an opportunity to repent. Judas kissed the gates of heaven and he went to hell. He was also denied by Peter, the very man who swore above all others that, oh, I'd never leave you, Jesus, never, never, never. Matthew twenty six thirty five. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And we forget that all the other disciples said the same thing. Mark fourteen thirty one. but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. We get on Peter, but they all had that same mentality. And yet every one of them deserted Christ, denied him. But he was also rejected by Israel. Think about it. When Jesus came into the world, he came to fulfill all the Jewish prophecies concerning the Messiah, and he did. He came to establish the kingdom of God here on the earth to liberate the people of God, the Jews. Yet when he came, they refused to have him. They demanded that he be put to death. They utterly rejected him. John 1.11 says that he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John 19.6 says when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Even Pilate found no guilt in him. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Luke nineteen fourteen says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. See, this was the ultimate blow. Surely this crushed the heart of the Savior. And what amazes me is that men are still guilty of doing the same thing today. I mean, Israel, Judas rejected Jesus out of pure unbelief. Peter denied him in a moment of weakness. But every day in this world, people reject Jesus. They turn their backs to Jesus in an effort to enjoy a life of sin just for a few more days. Maybe it's out of pride. Maybe it's out of an issue of control. Some reject Christ simply because they're fools. Whatever the reason, men reject the salvation that is so freely offered to them. It's offered to them through Jesus. It's not worth dying and going to hell over. I pray that you would not make the same mistake billions have already made in rejecting the Savior. I pray that you would trust Christ today. There's still time. You're hearing the truth as I speak. Be sure that you will miss hell when you leave this world and be ushered into a glorious eternity with our Lord and Savior in heaven. I mean, to be saved is simple. All you have to do is trust in Christ, in his finished work on the cross. Admit your need of a Savior. Cry out, be merciful to me A sinner God. When we do that, it comes from a sincere heart, from a broken heart. We are saved for all eternity. The last thing here, quickly, we see him in his destiny in verse 37. This is a wonderful verse. We see Jesus on trial before Pilate. Jesus makes it clear to Pilate that he came into this world not to live but to die. Jesus had his sights on three peaks. First of all, he understood simply there had to be a cross. Jesus plainly states that his purpose in coming into this world was to go to the cross and to die. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Do you understand that if Jesus had not shed his blood on the cross, then nobody could have ever been saved? If he had not died on the cross, if he had not met, if he had not satisfied through his perfect sacrifice, salvation is totally dependent upon the sacrifice, the blood the merit of the death of Christ. See, it took the death of Jesus on the cross at Calvary to open up the way of salvation for you and me. He had to suffer and he also had to die. It was the only way God could redeem fallen man. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. There had to be a cross. There also has to be a crown. Jesus states in this verse that he is to bear witness to the truth, he says. He says, He bore witness to the the truths of his claims. When three days after his death, he rose from the dead. Amen? Now, you know what? We we thank God he forever lives. And the reason we do that is because he makes intercession for us. Romans 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I serve a risen Savior. How about you? I trust you do. And lastly, there had to be a call. Notice that Jesus said that those who were of the truth would hear his voice. As we walk through this world, God continually calls out to us. Calls out to them who have yet to believe through his spirit. As many in this room has responded to that call. We are saved forever by his grace. However, before the call could ever be made, before the call could ever be issued by the Savior, the Savior had to die, buried, and to rise again. That's the the gospel Beloved, that's, that's what it means to follow Christ, that Jesus died for sin. He rose from the, the grave, and he calls all men to follow him, to give up their lives and follow his purpose, his plan for you. And if you'll come unto him now, you will be saved. Maybe you've never given your life over to Jesus, your heart, your life. Maybe you feel him calling you. If you've never been saved, I want to remind you that Jesus loves you. He's made a way for you to be born again, be liberated, to be forgiven from your sin, a way out of judgment and damnation. And that way is none other than Jesus Christ, his own son. I pray that you would come to him while he calls you.
0: If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, well, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 366 9923 or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are and if you need a map to uh, visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email, let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by? Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650 650- Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.